negative 9. The only way is up here on Howl's AmeriCast, Sheffield Wednesday Opinion with an American Accent. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and this week I am drinking a good eye from Free Thought Brewing, which is, I guess, in Brooklyn, New York, but actually brews their beer in North Haven, Connecticut. I was inspired by the can, basically, when I did a beer delivery this afternoon because I was out of beer. It's a nice can. It's a nice beer. It's a 7% dry hopped sour with uh, a whole bunch of tasting notes that I helpfully found on their website, including things like kumquat and pine nuts. But it's a it's a very well-crafted, uh, very boozy sour for those sort of cool late summer evenings when we can discuss multiple Sheffield Wednesday wins, which has been a rarity on this podcast. And joining me to discuss a League Cup win and three points in the book. It's Patty Jones. Patty, what are you drinking? Good evening, Jeff. How are you doing? Uh, I've, for years, we've uh, lamented uh, hoppy, thick IPAs and kind of sung the praises of wilds, kind of like sours and gozers. Uh, I feel like we've missed a demographic, so I'm going to fill out demographic this season, which is uh, the best light beers you can buy. <laughs> So, this is the conversation in the WhatsApp group this week. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm starting to narrow it down. So I'm drinking a Dogfish Head, uh, slightly mighty, a local IPA, just 95 calories, 3.6 carbs. There's, there's, there is some monk fruit, I think, in this. There's notes of that kind of stuff. Yeah, monk fruit. It's a very, very good alternative to your Coors Light, Bud Light shite. And looking trim. I do feel... That is sort of a, an untapped market, much like Wednesday striker scoring in games is an untapped market. And we'll discuss that and other things in his closet in Queens, New York. It's James Allen. James, what are you drinking? Hey, Jeff. Uh, monk fruit. Is that a uh, is that some <laughs> kind of Wednesday related uh, veg? Well, fruit, I guess. The we'll fruits, find out later from Paddy. The fruits of monks work. <laughs> Yeah, uh, wow! From that from that bombshell to uh, well, it's the nights are drawing in, and it is politics season on Al's Americast. So I'm drinking a politically inspired beer, um, a very very good one as well, and it does exactly what it says on the tin. It's a 10 percent imperial stout, uh, <laughs> brewed by uh, Fifth Hammer up the road from me, but in collaboration with uh, Weathered Souls Brewing from uh, San Antonio, Texas. Simply called Black is Beautiful, um, brewed to support justice and equality for people of color. So yeah. This is a really good beer for a really good cause. And up in New England, Justin, I almost went with the uh, shipping out of Boston from Jack's Abbey so I could make a joke about HMS Piss the League. But what are you drinking, my New England friend? I'm uh, joining you tonight with a sour ale. I'm drinking Shoveltown Brewery's Miami Vice. Shoveltown Brewery is in Easton, Massachusetts, also known as Shoveltown, because they uh, Ames Shovel Factory was started in the early 1800s and provided all the shovels that built the transcontinental railroads across this country. So were they also used for the big dig? Keep in New England. <laughs> took long enough. It wouldn't surprise me. Surprise me. Uh, this will not be a short episode of the Owls Americast. We have two matches to cover. A way to Cardiff and a way to Rochdale. A f- 
large amount of Wednesday news. I've made this a truly global podcast this week as we have dispatches from around the world. We will preview the Watford game this weekend with our friend Felix from the NYC Hornets, and there'll be a bevy of meetup news as well. We'll start with the Cardiff game, Wednesday 2, Cardiff nil. A Wednesday striker scored four minutes into the game. Did you have that on your bingo card? Because I didn't. A rather pedestrian first half after that, although it was a fine finish from Windass and a nice assist from Wednesday, Loney Izzy Brown being first to a loose ball. Cardiff had a few chances from set pieces, the occasional fizzed ball across the box, but all in all, Wednesday's squad had a fine, organized performance. Jordan Rhodes got on the score sheet as well. I think someone predicted that last week. I can't remember who. It might have been me. I think it was probably me. Uh, (laughs) And after a a surprisingly good free kick routine, a stooping header, a flicked header, and a toe poke, the Gary Monk, the Monk fruit is working its magic already. Uh, The second half was mostly boring as piss. Once they made some tactical changes, it actually worked, and they saw the game in surprisingly unhurried fashion. We can all take some comfort from that, going from minus 12 to minus 9, and a mere 12 points off automatic promotion after one game. The best you can really hope for. So, Patty, your talking point. Everything is new. Yeah, I thought I'd just do a broad stroke with this one. Um, I really think, like, um, it was just very refreshing to see everything being different (laughs) i mean i know there's talking points coming up which will detail that much better than i just said but the i want want to talk about the game management as well a bit too so like previously if we weren't tuned up in the first half we'd be hanging on for the second half we'd look shaky we had a couple of shaky periods at the back um but overall we played that game perfectly we had energy we had we had people wanting the ball. We had everyone knowing their role. Even Yusuf van Aken knew his role. We had like creative players that wanted the ball and played the ball into space. We had people running, making runs up front. It was all new. And what was lacking in the first game of the season against um, Walsall was it? Uh, was all to show now. Everything that Monk's been promising us for the past like two or three months about building a, a, that kind of like uh, culture of, of teams and, and mentality and a, a team that would be proud to cheer on, it started to bear fruit against Cardiff. Um, monk fruit, to be clear. <laughs> it started to bear monk fruit. <laughs> I think we know what the title of the episode. <laughs> yeah, be we'll at this title. <laughs> that's the podcast title right there. Um, so yeah, I think um, all the new guys did really well too. So that's why I wanted to talk about it as well. So uh Izzy Brown, fantastic start to his uh, uh, full career, full debut here at uh, Wednesday. Uh, a kind of slide through ball, uh, weighted perfectly. It was, what, who does that? It's fantastic. I mean, you saw flashes of that in the, in the Walsall game. They had him playing up front when he couldn't really sort of... But they really haven't had... I can't think of the last... I was trying to think of the last sort of like box-to-box midfielder with that kind of like physicality touch and pace and the only one i could think of was nicholas alexanderson so that's like how far back we're going at this point big guy midfield it helps yeah. right and he puts a tackling that yeah. um 
you could think a guy from Chelsea has been kind of shipped out a bit. He's, he's known for his creativity. I kind of thought it might be a bit of a fancy Dan when he turned up. Like, kind of no like way. a guy that will float <laughs> like as a number 10 and just kind of like be a little bit kind of aloof. But no, he's fucking getting stuck in. He's, like, he's putting tackles in. He's everywhere on the pitch. Uh, he looks an absolute... I mean, for the assist to Windass, if he misses that by, you know, uh, uh, six inches here or there, he's either completely missing the ball or getting sent off for a red card. And he turned it into a perfectly weighted pass into uh, space. And don't um, also, like, I want to talk about Windass too, because that run was fantastic. And he made a lot of those runs, uh, both today against Rochdale and at Cardiff. Uh his energy is just like it's infectious, right? I mean, we saw it in little bursts last season, but he's come back start of this season with um with a real like bit between his teeth. He's everywhere and he looks sharp too. Yeah, and I, you know, this is my talking point. I from what I saw from Josh Windass last year is a guy that can play up front can run and run and run and he drags the opponent's uh, defense out of position and he pressures them. But I did not see him having the kind of finishing touch that he's been displaying so far this year. And that's what really got me uh, during that game. And and to be honest, it wasn't necessarily just the first goal, which was beautiful, right? It, It was a great run. And Izzy Brown made a tremendous play to, sit back and and all of Wednesday that was a team goal they they goaded uh they goaded that pass and Izzy stepped forward and, and picked it off so Windass finishes that that header that Jordan Rhodes finished was Windass putting that ball in the far corner uh he was going for goal on that one he scores again today and that uh shot that he had in the 31st minute that the Cardiff uh keeper was forced to put over the bar mm-hmm. I didn't know that Josh Windass could do all this. I had seen Josh Windass as being, and, and liked him being aboard, providing a lot of energy, providing smarts, pressuring, uh, again, doing those little things, dragging players out of position. What I'm seeing right now is a guy who, he looks ready to, to start putting the ball in the back of the net. Uh, you know, dare I say it, can we get a 20-goal scorer out of him this year? James, if they do get 20 goals out of Josh Windass, will it be because culture eats strategy for breakfast, which is your talking point? Nothing like a cliche to get a season going. Mm. Um, Yeah, arguably. I mean, look, has Josh Windass ever been a 20-goal-a-year striker? Um, Is there ever ever such thing as a 20-goal-a-year striker, (laughs) or does a 20-goal-a-year striker result from good team play? I mean, lots of of things nested in that. I I think there is something to the idea that he pretty clearly wanted to come back here he did look i mean so 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 this is my broader point which is and paddy kind of touched on it a moment or two ago it, it, there is something happening which it's early say it's not just because we're throwing out like fifty thousand a week wages anymore like we used to well which, which makes a difference but it, yeah. it's something that gary monk has promised um and at least on the evidence of two games and we'll talk about the reasons for for why we saw it at Rochdale today as well in a moment. It appears that the dressing room culture of Sheffield Wednesday has shifted in the past couple of months. Um, And let's be honest, it's not been a long close season, so we've got to be careful not to draw too many conclusions too quickly. But what impressed me most against Cardiff was actually not the, you know, not the goals themselves. I mean, they were well executed, not the, 
um, necessarily the performance on the ball because we didn't have a lot of the ball. I think we had about 28% possession in the entire game. It was actually the togetherness of the side, the way that they were technically disciplined, strategically well set out, well balanced. You know, we don't have a, as, as deep a roster as we did last year, and we have a lot less of the flashy names, but we had a better squad in terms of the ability to bring on the right players from the bench, Liam Palmer to lock up a game. Um, you know, the the kind of the composition in midfield and, and Brown anchored that magnificently. But also the spirit that you saw from the players both before and after. And, you know, I know a lot's been made about that kind of shot of the team in a huddle after the game, but they very clearly are pulling for each other. And, you know, you were talking about Nicholas Alexanderson and, um, you know, and time's gone by. It's certainly some time, you know, arguably since maybe that Semedo promotion season that we've seen a Wednesday team really, really gelled and kind of pulling in the same direction. Even in the playoff years under Carlos, we had some high points, but we had some pretty spectacular um, kind of off points as well. It just bodes well for me. Um, and look, I've spent a lot of time on record complaining about the long-term plans for Sheffield Wednesday, but you can't have a long-term plan if you don't have some form of togetherness and some form of, of organisation. And, and I'm seeing the signs that they're beginning to put that in place. So encouraged so far. My talking point from the first game, there's been a lot of talk, both sort of in the soccer media and even sort of in the broadcast on the Joe Wildsmith, Cameron Dawson, friendship, competition, friend petition, whatever you want to call it. Um, the thing I came away from the Cardiff game is if you can really point at a weakness in Cameron Dawson's game, it was how he sort of marshaled the back line and commanded his area. And while he did not have a ton to do against Cardiff, uh, and I, or really a ton to do against Walsall either, he was much more commanding balls in the box. His decision-making was better. And I think that was sort of the one thing stopping him from being a true number one at this level. And... You know, we're three games in now, and Wednesday have yet to concede, and that's that's been a team effort on a number of levels. It's also been probably a testament to the level of competition in these first three games. But, you know, Wednesday were very capable of shipping two goals against Cardiff, a goal here and there against lower league opposition in the past. And I think having a true first-choice keeper emerge and a true, you know, it's a, what do you want to call it, a 5-3-2 a, a or a 3-5-2 formation that everybody seems to know what they're doing. And I'll get to that more in the in the Rochelle game as well. I think it's a, jumping off James' point here, it's a total, it's a cohesive squad in a way we haven't maybe seen since that tomato promotion season. Because even the Carlos years... You were still kind of counting. I mean, everybody knew what they were doing. It was a little ticky-tacka, but you were still counting on, I think, individual moments of brilliance. And eh, we haven't really seen... We've seen that from the squad, but it, it it derives from the whole rather than, you know, an Adam Reach worldy or a Ross Wallace worldy or, you know, a, a, a drop of the shoulder from Kieran Lee. It's the goals they're scoring now. It's it just is part and parcel to an, an overall team performance, I think. Well, we've been talking about, and, and this is playing off both those points, especially James is the idea we've been talking about. And I know I've harped on a couple of times, the idea of uh, some of the particular egos getting cleared out over the last couple of years and guys who 
you know, none of us were in that locker room. None of us really know who set the tone or who was or wasn't willing to listen to managers or do this. But you had some real veterans who, you know, clearly wanted to do things their way that are no longer around. And I, I think what that has led to is it allows the manager to set a wider message of, you know, as, as you said, Jeff, do, do your job, right? Whatever it is. Um, this is a point I noticed um, in the game. And it, it was funny because I looked back that I didn't see Kadeem Harris go forward uh, in, in an offensive manner until, and I noted it in the 47th minute. It was the first time that I saw him go forward. And then I, I was taking some notes and Harris was forward again in the threateningly in the 61st, 68th, 75th, 76th minute. And I said, gee, what what was going on here? Well, Junior Hoylett was subbed out in the 58th minute. So Kadeem Harris spent 58 minutes not worrying about going forward and worrying about shutting down their threat. And Hoylett has torn us apart in the past. Kadeem Harris sits back, doesn't complain, doesn't whine about not getting to go forward, does a job, and then has an opportunity to bomb forward when Josh Murphy came on, who plays more inside, that opened up the side, and Harris was willing to do it. And I, I think we've got a team of people like Kadeem Harris who are willing to do what the manager asks them, not say, that's not what I do, I, I do this and that. And, and we're really seeing the results. This is a culture coming together. And James, you're right, let's, you know, we're, we're two games in, two and three games in, let's not, you know, Let's not start talking about promotion, but boy, after the last couple of years, it's it's really nice to see everybody be having kumbaya in a big circle after the game. I think that's actually the most important point, Justin. It's not necessarily the result. It's actually the feeling of seeing a team that's kind of doing what the basics are that we expect, right? Putting a shift in, working together, pulling for each other, listening to the manager, giving us a chance. Now, you know, that may or may not work out. We don't have the best squad in the league. We don't have the firepower of, and we'll talk about later on, a Watford or necessarily, you know, some of the star players of, of teams higher up the league. We've got to be realistic about the fight that we're in this year. But our best shot of getting out of this situation and actually having a reasonably good season is a team that does exactly that, that pulls for each other. Because we have got good players. We have got we have got the edge in certain positions. Um, but if they work together as a unit, and we've seen plenty of examples of teams who do this, they can they can achieve out of the ordinary results. And that's um, that's really encouraging for us. So yeah, let's not get carried away. It just, it just felt like a really good place to start the season. I do think the overarching tone when we do these recaps the last year or two on this podcast have just been a lot of sort of like exasperation with again not doing the basics right but just like not the games have not been fun to watch and through three games so far this season this is not the most exciting brand of football it's not brentford being brentford it's certainly not like liverpool or barcelona but it's just pleasant it's enjoyable. I can spend a Saturday morning or a Tuesday afternoon like watching Wednesday and like honestly like pulling for the guys in a way that I don't think I've been able to do the last couple of years because there's always just like 
there's only something there's a there's a mistake at the back or there's somebody moaning or somebody doesn't put in a performance or they just get you know blown off the pitch like look they're gonna lose games this is not a, a fully formed championship squad but i don't th- think they're going to lose games in the 91st minute as much as they did i don't think they're gonna lose games because they don't do the basics right you know they're gonna lose games because they're gonna be more talented squads or they're gonna have a tough road game or sometimes you just have a bad day at the office but I think there's a lot of like players on this team, and some of it is just fatigue, as as Justin said, seeing the same veterans pulling a face or you know riding on coattails from being in the Wembley Eleven or whatever else. You know, it's 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 nice to have some squad turnover. It's nice to have some new players to root for and look it's Sheffield Wednesday so they will disappoint us and annoy us in various reasons over the coming weeks that's just what's what's going to happen but you know I I feel like we're actually building to something now and I can get invested in the future of players like you know Sayodele Bashiru or you know know, uh, Liam Shaw and in Matt Petty like in a way that it it Maybe it's just like every year, really since the Wembley season, we've been like, ah, this this is a year. This is a year we're going to get, we're going to promote it finally out of this hellscape division. And we're probably not going to get out of this hellscape division this year. So just enjoy it. And it's kind of enjoyable. So far it is. I think it's a good segment, segue into the Rochdale game. Mm Because I think the the key thing that I felt after after watching the game today as Rochdale was I enjoyed that. It was, it was enjoyable. And it was because everyone on that pitch gave the ball. Uh, and you saw that, <laughs> you saw the lineup at the beginning, which, I mean, look at that. And you read it out and you go, fucking hell, this is going to be, a, this is going to be a hard fucking uh, watch. This is, we had uh, Kachunga and Reach up front, Odebayo, um, Fizz, Pelopesi, Alex Hunt, Palmer. Uh, oh, according then... to the, just for the record, according to the Rochdale commentator, it was a, uh... Adabejo or something. Adabajo. Adabejo. It's like it's like, I can't do the accent, obviously, but it was a very like a lovely well, accent. <laughs> we made eleven changes, right? Eleven changes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, eleven changes. And Bernard, Bernard Shoei and Brennan and making his debut sure. in Are we doing Brenzy or Breno? Have we decided? <laughs> I like Brennany. So we have Brenny. Shoei, Unty, and Brennany. And Fizzy. Fizzy as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you look at that. Lineup and say if that was a Yoss lineup or a kind of even like uh, uh, like last six months of Carlos lineup, you go fuck. This is going to be awful. Yeah, I, I appreciate they're going to give um, the youngsters a try out, but brought into anything kind of as a team performance. It's kind of a, it's kind of a training uh, fixture, and for the first half, it looked a little bit like that, but it was slightly different. Because everyone looked drilled, everyone looked organised, everyone looked like they were playing for the ball. We were pressing Rochdale. Rochdale were pressing us too. There, were, there weren't no pushover in the first half, um, and that was different about it. It, it was a cup, it was a second round cup game with a second string out, but everyone knew their role. And I thought the young kids that uh, started. So Hunt, we've known he's part of the first team for the past what six months now, um, and Shoei to some extent too. He's had a few runouts now. Shoei was playing a centre half. Uh, I think for the first time, maybe uh, certainly starting. Buddy, can we just qualify for something? Because the way you're talking about Shory, it makes him sound like the lad who's around the corner. You, you know him. <laughs> Shall we? Shall we? Oh, yeah. Top lad. Top bands. 
Hey, no, he is, he is top because he's tall. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. It's very difficult to understand. Like Brennan and Shoei look very similar. They're just like just gangly, like twenty-year-olds, like six foot three. Uh, but they both are good games, and and it, I think that's another indication of Monk instilling a culture into the squad. Right? If they're, they're playing the same formation, they're playing the same manner as they did against Cardiff. Um, but obviously they're playing against a lesser opposition. So we just looked good uh, and everyone looked like they knew what they were doing. Everyone knew their role and we stuck to it and we saw it out and we didn't get a break in the first half, but the second half, it just it was just all us. It was, it was complete obliteration of Rochdale. We should have had six, seven. Um, but yeah, totally fantastic. I loved, I loved the young kids and that I think, also hints back to what Jeff was saying. You want to cheer these guys on. You, you're rooting for them, right? It's the we're now the rather than the kind of uh, money bags kind of signings we've had in the past, where they're supposed to do well and they're letting you down. We now got underdog status. We've got kids. We've got people that were, did had a bad season last season and they're trying to rebuild themselves in this club. It's, it's, it's the literally have fight. two broken legs. <laughs> we've got twelve point deduction. It's like. Oh, could you be more underdog than we are right now? It's it's so good to be an underdog again. <laughs> just to give everybody a context, just how far Paddy has travelled on this, and he hasn't got there yet. Your view, Paddy, on Joey Pelopesi today? He had a good game. There you go. <laughs> I'll stand so, by that. Paddy, Paddy's view of Wednesday's we underdogs can't take back. is that he will start to give credit to Joey Pelopesi when he has a good game, which he had a productive game today, right? I think your phrase was something on the lines of, you know, he didn't have a lot to do defensively. So it freed him up to become this kind of creative maestro in midfield. Mm. But you know what? It, it, to kind of build, riffing on your point a little bit, Paddy, and this is progression in three games because we didn't have this against Walsall. Um, when Wednesday went into half time and they hadn't scored, it's 0 0. And you know that they're creating, you know that they're dominating you had a sense that they were going to score goals in the second half. And that's kind of, it's a product of confidence of knowing that they're playing to a system, that if they keep on doing it, if they keep on putting balls in dangerous areas, that they're going to have players who are going to get on the end of it. And I haven't, I can't remember that. I can't remember that sort of confidence that we actually know, you know, we're going to get a result out of this because we're doing the right things and we're being methodological about it and we are the better team. Um, and I think that is a product of the system. So before you even get onto the goals, at halftime at nil-nil, I wasn't expecting it to go to penalties. And that's a really strange situation to be in with Wednesday in the League Cup game. So. Monk made a good comment in the uh, post-match interview. He said that he, he said to them at halftime that, do you want to be talking about our lack of a clinical finishing at the end of this game? Or do you want to go <laughs> at 90 minutes with a couple of goals in? That's what I thought kind of spurred him on. Said, don't, don't finish this game. People lamenting our lack of finishing like they have done and our lack of strikers. Go in there and score a goal, basically. I like that. That's right up there with Ferguson's. Uh, it's Spurs, lad. <laughs> I thought it was it's them. Dom <laughs> uh, uh, Housen noted this during the game, and this is like a simple, stupid thing in a way, but I think it does matter. Uh, Andrew Hughes, who always got brought in as, as the coaching staff, as Brennan was, er, sorry, Breno. We're going, we're going with Breno. As Breno came off the pitch. Was replaced by Orpha. Just tell him, well done, young man. And you could hear it on the broadcast, I assume. Like, just like a simple thing. Like, it's your full debut for Sheffield Wednesday. Like, he put in a shift, and everyone does seem to be pulling for each other in a way that there's just no sourness. Like, there's no. Everything that kind of comes with being a Wednesday fan and, like, just the expectation that it's going to be kind of dire. And, like, look, at, at times this year, it might be a little bit dire, but 
there does seem to be, for the first time, certainly done this podcast, and really, there's a plan, James. I know you're the plan guy, but there does at least, like, it may not work, but there seems to be a plan. Yeah, no, so you, you heard it from me here first, not necessarily here f- first. Is um, Yeah, it, it feels like these guys have a outline of what they're trying to do. Um, and it may be nothing more complicated than let's get a squad that has good balance across the pitch and that pulls in the same direction and that tries to do the basics right. That's a good place to start. It's actually a whole lot of a better place to start than let's get promoted next season because if you try and jump to the end result without putting the fundamentals in place, you're going to struggle, right? So having a first-team coach who puts his arm around the shoulder of the younger players and gives them a little bit of a congratulatory nod when they've put in a shift and delivered a good debut performance is absolutely the first place you want to start. Um, Jeff, you might be alluding to the fact that it's actually a really good idea if we don't let Sheffield Wednesday fans back in stadiums this year because you know that positivity might actually turn into a snowball and um, we might not be brought down by the collective, basically you know, disastrous mental state of half of our fan base. But how um, how Wednesday would it be to get promoted in a season where they can't get fans into the stands, <laughs> even with a twelve point deduction? Be the most Wednesday thing ever. But you know, one of the interesting things about the commentary in this kind of weird environment where you can hear every shout is you can hear our bench, right? Against Cardiff, particularly in the first half where there you was no You made jokes coach. about this, by the way. James. Yeah, because I follow completely fucked up and we didn't have to listen to Radio Sheffield talking yeah. about what was going on at Scunthorpe. Um, you could hear <laughs> Andrew Hughes bellowing at that squad and it was basic. Yeah. It wasn't non-stop. complicated. Yeah. Non-stop, but it, you know, it was push out, you know, push clear up, your line. It was yeah. attack him, you know. I kind of joked in the WhatsApp there, it's like listening to a Sunday league game, but actually, you know what? Good. I'm glad that we're doing the basics because a year ago, we weren't doing Sunday league basics. Our centre-backs weren't talking to each other. Our back line was not clearing an offside trap. Whereas we've got some well-tenured guys on the bench who are shouting instructions and the team are hearing them. So I'm all for it. So that brings me to my yeah. talking point, which is just do your job. And Justin will know this reference because it's a it's a New England Patriots reference, a Bill Belichick reference. Just the idea that we've have played three games, had three clean sheets, and three different center back three pairings. Now again, two of those games were against lower league opposition, but they were all they were all away and Again, not something necessarily would have done last year. And all those center backs have done their job. And the idea that you can put in any combination of those players and they know what their role is, they know what to do. Um, you know, Kadeem Harris knows when to defend. He knows when he can push forward. Uh, you know, same with Matt Petty. We did not hear a lot from Matt Penny in the Cardiff game, but Matt Penny was part of a back line that did not concede against Cardiff, you know, uh, uh, who had some, some big lumps and some guys that could run into the box. We were better on set pieces. We were better on corner kicks. You know, the kind of situations where Wednesday will concede a free header, they were not conceding a free header. Uh, you know, Cardiff's best chance came on a, on a header, but there were two Wednesday players on him. And like, sometimes they didn't end up scoring, but you can't say they didn't mark him. And if he is able to score from that spot, good for him. You know, they're trying to win too. And everything I've seen from these games or, or heard in the in the Rochdale case is that 
It's a well-organized, well-drilled squad that still struggles with the ball in the final third because it is Sheffield Wednesday. (laughs) But, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing that will serve them well when they need to grind out results. And they're going to need to grind out a lot of results to make up the 12 points. I love, James, I love your communication point. And it's it's so right. I I think you guys know uh, I've coached hockey for the... about the last 10, 12 years, uh, coached some fairly competitive hockey at certain points. And and one of the things that I always talk about and always try to, to teach is in, and explain to the kids is that the players who play at a higher level, if you want to play at college, if you want to play professionally, what's the difference when you go to one of those games? And it's communication. And it's the communication is always there. Everybody's talking. Everybody's pointing things out, even simple stuff, right? Like you make the point, Andrew Hughes, we've all heard, like, push up lads like yeah we all fucking know that but you know what sometimes it's good to get a reminder it's good to hear that it's good to keep yourself in the game that's one of the things we loved about kieran westwood is he was always demanding demanding let's go let's go the rest of the squad might not have liked that as much but (laughs) well it's true again some of these people are cleared out we may be for the better but the, the idea is that this communication though is a sign of people being into the game, people being locked in, uh, people working together to to all get to this cause. And, you know, I, I'm stunned at what this podcast is going to sound like when we're done, uh, because it's been nothing but positivity and uh, forward looking forward to what this this team unity can do. But that's what we've seen. We've seen a group of players come together follow the same message uh as you say jeff everybody's doing their individual job and you know what it's fucking working james before watford blows them off the pitch this weekend on the back (laughs) of that you want to talk about liam palmer's cultured right boot yeah i mean so i i forget exactly who said it a few minutes ago about kind of you know egos tenured egos right Hmm. I feel like we have the opposite in Liam Palmer. We have one of the most humble tenured players you could possibly dream of having in your squad. And here's a guy who, um, you know, really his season started by playing a blinder for Scotland in a, in a game a couple of weeks ago. He didn't really get on the pitch apart from for a few minutes against uh, Cardiff in the season opener. Came in, did a job, helped us lock the game down, just kind of to the theme of this whole conversation, did what he was asked to do. But today he... You know, he he kind of showed that he's got some some class as well. Um, and that ball in for um, uh, for Kachunga to score the first is just an absolute peach of a right wing cross. You know, from deep, cutting across the centre back. You know, absolutely perfectly weighted. And um, I can't remember the amount of times where Liam Palmer has got to the byline and put in an absolute hanger of a cross in years gone by. To see him put in a Beckham esque kind of you know swing from the right right touchline was. Uh, it was just this funny moment of just thinking, you know what, we ought to treasure him in a different way. Um, he's been, like many Wednesday players at times, kind of the the player that all fans have kind of centred on. But over time, he's proving himself to be really valuable to this squad. His attitude is first rate. And there's some real, real calibre there as well. So, um, yeah. I mean, look, his, we can uh, all make jokes about Scottish football and they'll all be correct. But, you know, there's a reason he's getting into that squad every single international break and it's not just because you know it's because i think because he brings all those things to the table he's very unselfish he's humble he can play a a variety of positions james you know offhand how old he is i'm gonna say he's like 32 
He's 28. So like for a, for a right back, and obviously he's played some like central defensive midfield as well. I think he even played him at center back at some point last year. You know, that's, that's not an uncommon time for a player to peak. So we might be getting the, the best of Liam Palmer now. Well, he can play, he can play right back in a back four. Um, hmm. He can play a right wing back as he did for Scotland, as he did for us. He can even play on the right side of a back three if we need him to. I mean, and James is absolutely right. This is a guy who he's not, not that he has much to be unhumble about, but <laughs> at the same time, he's, you know, he's just been a guy who for years is. He's been, a capped international. It's like, like yeah. you know, but like, what, like Wednesday, it's, it's like, it's not like it's, you know, Moldova or something. As much as we make fun of Scottish football often and rightfully. Um, <laughs> no, but he's, yeah. he's had a lot of ups and downs. Yeah, and no, certainly. However long he's been with Wednesday and for him to just keep showing up and keep being positive and you've never heard somebody say a negative word about him. Every coach that's come through has ended up playing him at some point or the other. It's it's nice to see. He's one of our own. Who can believe we're saying all of this without Evan on the podcast? Yeah, I know. He was right all I mean, along. Look at, some, right look at along. some of the other defenders uh, that got called up for that Scotland uh, Czech Republic game or whatever. You know, Andrew Robertson, Champions League winner, Premier League winner, playoff winner, <laughs> playoff winner, Kieran uh, Tierney, FA Cup winner. I think he got a medal for that. He got off the Arsenal squad, probably. Yeah, I don't know. Um, he won like eight Scottish Cups in a row yeah, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. You know, Greg Taylor, who it's like 22, he probably won 20 trophies for Celtic already. <laughs> I think McTominay's been playing back there. He's yeah, I mean, yeah, he's, like, he generally uh, plays in the midfield, but yeah, Scott McTominay. Sure. Yeah. So I, I think what we're saying is uh, Liam Palmer, future Scotland captain. And was Sheffield Wednesday captain for this game and uh, very much deserved. Justin, you're going to move down the striker list from Josh Windass to Elias Kachunga. Uh, just, I was really impressed with what he did against Cardiff and granted some limited time. Um, you know, ton of energy uh, running around, a, a bit like I was suggesting what my view on Windass was before I saw him actually put the ball in the back of the net. Um, and I talked a little bit about Kachunga at the beginning of the season, how uh, he's been playing out wide for Huddersfield and, and maybe playing him in the center is his best position. And if James Beattie's a genius and miracle worker, as as may be rumored, uh, we could get something out of him. But well, what Three I games and four Kachunga, goals from our strikers, which I think is more than we had all of last year. So, <laughs> uh, Considering who those strikers are, it's all the more, right? Um, but yeah, I mean that, uh, James is right. That cross was unbelievable, but Kachanga went up and got it. And, you know, that's one of the things we saw it a little bit against Cardiff. Like he can get up there and get his head on a ball. Uh, can really, uh, he's got a lot of energy. This is another nice piece that, that we've got. And this is, you know, keep circling back to the same point, but if we've got players who are willing to accept their roles and to, you know, do a job, work, work as hard as they can for whether they're in there for 60 or 90 or 10 um, and, and kind of follow along with what Gary Monk's 
asking them to do um and andrew hughes is bellowing at them to do uh it's, it's a, looking like a really nice addition to uh to a team where granted we could probably use a, a guy to actually put that number nine shirt on but boy so far so good well this has been a frighteningly positive segment of the <laughs> owls of Aircast. so let's take a break before we get way too heady Come I'll let you finish without going to Fizz Dabayo. What's it called? Fizz uh, Bashiro. Fizz was... We've got so many different people that played well today and to excited about. And I don't, I don't want to... I want to bust through even more positivity because hmm. he was... Before we go to the next section of the podcast, I want to sing his praises because he was a delight to watch today. Uh, he is so strong, like crazy strong. I mean, He's once big. he figures out like sort of the speed and to pick the pass he's gonna be dangerous he was like today because he was playing against lower league position he, he looked like a man amongst like children he was just bursting through he's got such a i don't know if he's actually fast in the long sprint but in, in like the 10 feet 20 feet kind of like dash he goes from not to 60 in like a second and he was brushing Rochdale players. <laughs> they were just left in the wake. He was like, doof, doof. and it was like all over the place. He was fantastic to watch today. He just got the ball and was like, oh, I'm going I'm to run 30 yards. And if someone comes to challenge me, I'll just put my arm out and they'll just bounce off me. And he did that several times in the second half. And by the end of the, <laughs> the second half, you see the Rochdale players just look completely defeated because he was like, no one's touching him. He was, he was a few times he got to the byline and there were two people on him. And he somehow managed with his back towards goal, spun around on the byline, knocked two players down and put a cross in. It was his, um, he won a free kick that way too, which he'll end up for the Windass goal too. He uh, is in a very exciting prospect. As much as I'm excited about Izzy Brown being on the team this year, the fact that we've got this guy permanently is, um, it seems like a great bit of business so far from what I've seen. I think he said his sort of like idol growing up around like the man city youth team was yaya Torre, and you can definitely like see that in his game like i'm not saying he's gonna be yaya Torre, who's a hell of a player underscore that right because for everything paddy's just said right you know we know we know he's young raw talented but with a lot to to hone but he spent several years playing with yaya Torre. (laughs) i mean you know you you just you cannot get past that right he's seen it he's played in training drills with the guy he's played on the same side as 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 players of that caliber of david silver that's almost irreplaceable um so whether it's you know whether it's him whether it's other players that we're looking to bring in mm. from the fringes of premier league squads that is good business it's really good business to get players of that talent with that exposure I... hone them and give them experience they may play out for Wednesday or they may end up being far better players than Wednesday can hang on to, but that is a far better place to be than with a 30 year old strike with a hair transplant. <laughs> and <laughs> or like, when I think back to my sort of, certainly my favorite player of the recent Wednesday era, and you could certainly argue the best, um, you know, Kieran Lee, you know, Kieran Lee came up in the Manchester United youth system when it was the Manchester United youth system. And yes, he didn't make it there, but you know, it's, there's only so many squad places and, you know, sort of trying to find players, you know, from that, you know, shopping in that aisle, as it were, as opposed to the, you know, the, the yo-yo promotion proven, like you need some of those players. Don't get me wrong. You need people that know the league and know how to manage 46 games in the championship and do it on a cold Tuesday night in Millwall or whatever it is. But you also need, 
to look to the future and find the players that can be not only your promotion winners, but the first team on, you know, the first players on the team sheet when you get to that level, next level, that can take that step up with you. And I, I we think, can. yeah, I was just gonna say we can't keep buying Watford cast off. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that because I'm actually going to get us to a break now since this podcast is probably gonna be the longest ever. When we come back, we'll cover the Wednesday news and preview our upcoming Watford fixture. Now it's time for some Wednesday news, and the dream is dead. Addie Newhill will not be returning to S6 this season. He's instead heading to Cyprus, signing with Apple FC of the Cypriot League. Uh, I don't know about much about Cypriot football or much about Cyprus in general. I know it's a nice little island located south of Turkey. So I will instead turn this over to our globe-trotting co-host, that would be James. James, what can you tell me about Cyprus? Uh, absolutely sweet fuck all, Jeff. Because <laughs> um, I've never been there, and all I know... I, I actually thought it was south of Greece, So, um, but that probably explains part of the geopolitical problem, which is mm. the uh, the bunfire that is uh, the Greek-Cypriot-slash-Turkish-Cypriot kind of antagonism about who owns which part of the island. Um I know there's a lot of British army bases or legacy British army bases on there, which only adds to the uh, the combustible mix. And um, my guess is that Addy has really gone there because there are a lot of beach resorts mm. and nice villas with Mediterranean views, which, yeah. you know, kind of lends to his partying lifestyle that he's been unable to properly execute in Sheffield through the past seven barren winters. Um, so we'll also have Europa League for you, football, Jeff. I'm which sure is something you cannot find in Sheffield either. <laughs> other important points about Cyprus. Um, my guess is wine, olives, and mm. sunshine. But I'm, I'm uh, he's earned it, there if nothing else. So. Well, I think we touched on it last week or, or a couple of weeks ago. I mean, this is a guy who's running out of time to to play for Kosovo and and they've got a chance to make the Euros. Uh, so for him to find a place that's going to give him some regular playing time, one hopes. And and frankly, Apoel wins the Cypriot League every single year. So they're usually in European fixtures. Uh, so I, I think it's a good opportunity for him uh, to to get himself known. I know he'd like at least one last shot with his national team. And that's not to downplay the wine and the olives at the beaches, because I have no doubt that's uh, way better than Sheffield. Hmm. Uh, Apoel heads to Kaisar, FC Kaisar in the Kazakhstan Premier League for their second round Europa League qualifying match on Thursday. So check that out on what I assume you can only watch on a dodgy stream. So I'm just going to take a while to guess there. But to, uh, you know, good for Addy. In other Sheffield, ex-Sheffield Wednesday transfer news, or free transfer news, Sam Winnell has moved to Oxford United. I only know that because I have a friend who roots for Oxford United and asked me if he could play on the wing. And I'm like, why not? I mean, just play. He's like, why not? It's League One. He'll be fine there. He'll probably bag a bunch of goals. Uh, you know, Oxford's kind of a fairly like progressive, sabermetric-y soccer team. So yeah, good for him. Sam Winnell has found a job. Uh, 
Patty, you added this in. The, the Everton youngster is actually signed now. Is that official? Yeah, he is. Um, Karedi Adedoyen, I'm going to mm-hmm. guess the uh, pronunciation. Um, it looks like he's also he's been training with us for a while, obviously, uh, over the summer. And it looks like he's signed to the uh, first team squad, well, at least like the part of the first team plans eventually, rather than a kind of under 18 or under 23s player. So he's obviously impressed on the trial. So um comes from Everton, obviously, and that's all we know about him so far. Uh, hopefully he'll uh, appear in maybe in the next round of the uh, Carabao Cup. He got a shirt number, right? Yeah, he has, yeah. Mm-hmm. Next round of the Carabao Cup, you might see some fans in the stands. There are talk of letting 1,000 fans in for soccer matches in England now. Um, James, very important question. Can 1,000 Sheffield Wednesday fans properly create enough of a negative atmosphere that it'll be like uh, a normal Saturday? Uh, Having sat amongst 1,000 Sheffield Wednesday fans in the sparsely populated lower half of the South Stand (laughs) in December, yes. Yeah, they absolutely (laughs) fucking can. You probably need 10 of them, to be perfectly honest. Um, But yeah, you know what? Um, I mean, I guess we said you can hear everything Andrew Hughes is shouting. You'll be able to hear every moan from the uh i think there should be 1000 carefully selected sheffield wednesday fans mm-hmm. first of all we need to segment we need to exclude the band mm-hmm. we need to exclude all of the moaners and we just need to find like the Has tango suspension sit. ended yet uh i believe his suspension may have more to do with <laughs> other issues other than moaning i'm not going to get into that for yeah, political yeah. reasons let's just get the guys who sit in the top left of the north stand closest to leppings lane and get them in because they make enough noise for the rest of the stadium on a weekly basis anyway that's uh, that's probably the way to go but in all seriousness i mean like we saw it with the nfl kickoff this weekend right some stadiums completely empty some stadiums with sparsely populated crowds i think if there's one thing we've learned in the pandemic so far it's that outdoor activity in socially distanced environments is probably okay um and i know some leagues around europe have been experimenting with the same thing so here's hoping they can find a way to do that because um if they can get some fans back into stadiums in a safe manner it can only add to the fan engagement it can start to generate some revenue and you know hopefully it starts a precedent where they can safely do that as uh, as restrictions ease as well i i struggle with uh translating things from the imperial and the metric system is a thousand people six gathering in a group it's a stone of people <laughs> ah a stone very good the important thing is justin they're not family members oh no they are they should all be family members right but they should be in someone else's back garden no their own back garden the rule of six james is rule of six just say that that's what i say all the time unless you're hunting if you're hunting it's fine or in a thousand wednesday fans <laughs> if you're hunting stoat Yes, yes, that's right. So if it's a grouse shoot, that is totally acceptable for a thousand people to get together in the UK at the moment. Unless you're with your cousin who's been with his aunt in the last week. Mm. I think that's... No, it, actually, it doesn't matter. If you're hunting, you can get together with whoever, who the hell you please. <laughs> okay. Uh, these questions make me miss a guy like Terry Jones. We'll now take the Owls Americast. Truly global. We'll start with some dispatches from American soccer. And some MLS news. Uh, I found this out recently. Uh, Toronto FC cannot play in Toronto, much like the Toronto Blue Jays cannot play in Toronto and had to play in Buffalo this year. But uh, Toronto FC will be playing down the street from me in Hartford, Connecticut. 
So I feel like, Patty, I have to adopt Toronto FC as my team. How do you feel about that? No, I mean, if Josie Altidore is still playing for them, just stay away from him. Well, the I, worst I'll be honest, I've done no them. research. It's Fuck funny, because they're, they're playing at, at, at Rensselaer Field, which has hosted a bunch of uh, international friendly. This is also where the, the UConn football team plays. But they can't actually have fans there, cause I think because of like an MLS rule. However, the USL championship team, Hartford Athletic, can have, I think, 25% capacity. So I don't know, even though they're like, those stadiums are literally five miles apart, maybe 10 miles apart at that. Can the Hartford fans attend the MLS game? <laughs> Is it just a, a fan base? <laughs> I have no good answer to that. It doesn't all, it, none of it makes sense to me. Let's see if uh, Josie Altador is still on Toronto FC. For anyone still listening along at home, Jeff is now using Wikipedia. In yeah, well, I mean, obviously, it's a, not an uncommon feature of... Is that the first Wikipedia search of the season? Mm, it could be. No, I had to look up Liam Palmer's age. So it's you, the second you Jeff Bingo at home. <laughs> Josie Altador is still... Yeah, on Toronto yeah, FC, so there's a designated player. <laughs> yeah. There are other designated players, Alejandro Pozuelo from Spain. Spain. Jeff, do we have any other dispatches? We're already we at two hours well, of he, <laughs> he, uh, he played for Swansea City in 2013-2014, uh, most notably at Genk as an attacking midfielder from 2015 to 2019. We have dispatches from lots of soccer places, Patty. We will now move to... <laughs> dispatches from Swedish soccer. And this is Sheffield Wednesday related because Roland Nilsson has taken over the reins at his boyhood club, IFK Gothenburg. He's the number one. He is. Um, I, he's been in the youth system there. He's been coaching the youth team for a while. He coached the youth team for, for Sweden uh, as well. Uh, new manager bounce right off to a 2-0 victory off the hop, taking them into Europa League qualifying this week. Um, wasn't he rumored to be uh, a Wednesday managerial candidate? Like one of these last rounds, like the odds makers had him on the uh, on the list. Isn't Only every by Wednesday former months. Wednesday player a managerial yes. candidate when the job comes open? I mean, Carboni was reputed to be in the mix last time round. Carboni's lost so many hats from throwing it into the ring every time <laughs> the managerial job comes available. He's hatless. Two thoughts about Roland Nielsen as a manager. One. Um, Despite the fact that he was damn good looking in his youth, he hasn't aged awfully well. Like, oh, he's aged okay. Yeah, um, so, I, I, I still prefer 90s era old Nilsson to now era old Nilsson, but sure. there is one thing that can guarantee the fact that he's going to be a managerial success, and that is that friend of the pod, Peter Lohman from Denmark, says that he's a bit boring. Um, <laughs> so if the Danes are basically bad-mouthing him, that means the Swedes are going to get the upper hand. So the, other, the other news I saw <laughs> from the first training session he held is that the uh, the Swedish soccer press said he was the fittest player, f- fittest person on the, on the field still. <laughs> so Roland Nielsen now looks player like manager. What... Roland Nielsen now looks like what Barry Bannon would look like in that face app that ages your face. <laughs> <laughs> he does kind of look like a detective sergeant in a Nordic. <laughs> Like, the new Netflix, uh, yeah, Scandinavian, new, new Nordic, Scandinavian like detective show, yeah. He's like the boss. He's not one of the main detectives, but he's the boss <laughs> of the main detectives. Yes. 
We now have some dispatches from Bulgarian soccer, and also of concern to this podcast. Uh, Preslav Borakov got off the mark for SFC Atar Baliko Tarnovo. I think it's just Atar. Um, he's wearing 99 there, so I may have to find a shirt. And it was a, a very cagey striker's goal. He went down in the box, flailed around for a penalty, didn't get it, but the ball got stayed in at the byline and popped up and got the cross and put it in the top of the net. It was an awful goal. It was like a Sunday <laughs> league. Terrible scrappy goals, dreadful. I'm surprised made the podcast. And, uh, and we also have some dispatches from Yorkshire soccer as uh, Hallam FC won their preseason friendly 16 to nil. Yeah, while we were basically paying attention to what was going on at Rochdale, Hallam were literally scoring a goal every other minute up at uh, Sandygate in um, in Crossball. So, mm. yeah, credit to them. I think it was a preseason friendly against it's a the Royal R- Air Force. Yeah, the Royal Air Force RAF Regiment FC, who um, <laughs> clearly are very good at fi- flying fast planes in a dangerous form, close formation, but absolutely shit at football, from mm. what we can tell. We now turn our attention to Wednesday's first home fixture of the season against Watford old friend and old foe and we're joined by an old friend and an old foe from the New York City Hornets it's Felix Felix the last time our two teams saw each other as I recall uh Wednesday cost them winning the championship outright <laughs> I forgot about that, yeah. sounds about right yeah <laughs> a late new hue goal that led to some uh banter in the yeah. away end but it also that... led to five years of bournemouth laughing at us so. <laughs> <laughs> but a fairly successful five-year run in the premier league all in all what are the season expectations after a, a, a disappointing relegation last year um truthfully everyone's talking about bouncing straight back up um Last season was a bit of a awakening for the squad. Uh, there was a lot of issues on and off the field, as I think have been widely reported. A lot of managerial changes, um, and the the main thought has been press reset, go again, and and get straight back up there. But as I think everyone knows, it's it's much harder said than done, uh, and I think that it's going to be a tough realization as we start entering that february march run where you suddenly see the teams kind of making a push for the playoffs and and getting a lot more competitive um, you say you chopped to change managers but i thought that's what you do every year anyway it tends to it tends to work pretty well for you up until this past year so who's the guy that brought you down have you still got him um no well the there were many people that brought us down last season. <laughs> um, the we we ended up um, with an interim manager taking us down, um, who is no longer with us. I think he just accepted a, uh, a reserve manager gig with Colchester or backup manager. Um, we brought in Ivic, um, who has come over from Tel Aviv. Um, pretty unknown uh, to most Watford fans until until his appointment um, and then a quick Google search and everyone's uh, an expert in the Israeli league and his, his form um, but we had uh, we had Pearson who kind of had both resuscitated the team and got them nearly into salvation and then 
everything imploded after the, the, the COVID break. So a very weird final season in the Premier League where kind of we went through four managers famously, but four managers has been really an exception to, to the Watford rule, as you've kind of pointed out. Um, but I think they're definitely looking for stability for this season and bringing kind of Ibich, someone who seems to be from the two weeks he's been in charge, someone that doesn't smile and has no nonsense about him. Um, I think it's going to be kind of a different approach to this season. Well, he is Serbian, right? And I think we yes. kind of expect that from uh, that sort of no-nonsense uh, attitude from them. What What do you, and, and you're right, I think a bunch of people gave a quick Google search and, and saw his record was incredible. He uh, mm -hmm. took a small team, did really well in the Greek League, and then lost two total games in back-to-back -back years with uh, Tel Aviv. Uh, what what do you now know? What are you starting to see from him as his sort of philosophy and what he wants to do with the, with the club? Is he looking for a quick bounce back or does he feel more like a guy who's looking to build something for the future? Um, I'm certain that his employers, the Pozo family have told him that he has to bounce back or he's out and looking for a new job. Um, so his approach from, from everything that I've read and have seen now through, well, a cup game, a friendly, and you know the one the one game we've had in the season has been taking what he's done in the Greek league, which is not the most exciting football that you're going to see, um, but one that's not going to concede goals at the back. Um, so, you know, against Barrow, you saw, you know, the the team didn't have the most possession, but they they got that goal and they weren't going to concede one, um, and that's kind of the the approach that I'd expect to see from, from Watford kind of coming in this season. Um, and it's going to take a minute for kind of teams to work out how to start breaking it down and changing it. Um, and he's already started shifting into the youth setup. So a lot of the young players that had been frozen out the last few years have been brought back in. Um, it's kind of been an interesting element that we were already seeing. Um, I, I almost spit my drink out when I, looked at and saw that he was listed as having a 5-4-1 formation against Burrow, which, you know, must have made Neil Warnock proud. Although when you looked at sort of the positioning of the players over the game, uh, it really played out more like a 3-4-3 um, as it was. But w when you say there's youth players coming in, that stuns me. Uh, looking at your roster, you have 35 people on your roster right now. And it's a veritable who's who of Premier League caliber players. Uh, I assume you do. You think certain people are going to get sold? How, how do you see that massive roster getting shaken out as the year goes on? Yeah, good question, Justin. Um, I think right now we're probably ten days away from seeing a lot of those transfers starting to go through. Um, you know, we saw the first one with Dakure leaving a you know week ago. Um, Delafe has been in talks with most Serie A clubs near the top um, I know that Dini's been linked with about three you know middling uh, Premier League teams who do a job at most of those coming off the bench um, we're calling Spurs middling now that's probably fair actually <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love the Spurs links and I think that would just be one of the most incredible I, you know I think he's probably going to end up more likely at a Newcastle or a West Brom but um, those links were just hilarious and I, I'd love wherever they kind of started just the thought of Mourinho bringing Dini. Um, <laughs> just, uh, Is there any chance you keep Dini? He's really a Watford 
guy to the core at this point. Uh, I, everyone would love, like, hands down, one of the best players we've had for, for a long time. Uh, club captain, um, you know, has had his his issues um, and his demons and has very much kind of stuck, you know, the club stuck by him through all of that. And he's come out, he's a very different player from what he was when he started with us 10 years ago. Um, and you've kind of, you've seen from the press side that he's just a no-nonsense player that I think every every fan from most clubs kind of end up like, you know, warming up to in some some capacity. Um, he'd, of course, be welcome back and be in the armband if he decides to stay. But at the same time, he's 32. Um, he wants to play in the Premier League and, you know, he deserves that shot of being able to prove that he is a Premier League striker. Um, so on that level, I know that the club is just letting him see what comes in and if it feels right for him. So, yeah, love to have him. Um, truthfully, I don't think I'll see him, you know, in the Watford show. But they have kept him as the number nine uh, for this season. So, you know, the door is still very much open. Obviously, Watford and Udinese have a long-time relationship, and they've already brought in Stipe Perica and Francisco Serialta to the squad. There's a, there's one other Udinese player with a Watford link that has been rumored to perhaps return this season. What's the latest news on the Fernando Forestieri front? I think um, everyone would love to see Fassi back uh, in the Watford shirt. Um, truthfully, I think he came in for the trial to Watford to then move back to Udinese. Because um, he, came, he, he came on trial, I think, about two, three weeks ago. So my thought is, we'd love to see him, but uh, at this point in his career, I mean, you've seen it firsthand, his injury um, record has kind of kept him from being that stable winger that you kind of need. Um, when, he's, when he's on, he's, there's no other player like him. But uh, those days have started coming fewer and far between, unfortunately, uh, for your sake more than ours, really. Um, <laughs> But Looking through your squad now, Felix, I don't know. I don't see how uh, Forestieri gets into it. It is he couldn't get into the Wednesday squad in the end of his career. So yeah, uh, I mean, I think it's definitely a heart element. You know, he he's in that that team that took us up. There's a, a few players that obviously ended up moving over onto your squad uh, for the for the seasons after we went up. Um, that still don't have that. say it. Don't <laughs> yeah. say it. <laughs> Thanks so much for that. That, that the, what's it called? The professor. The professor. <laughs> Don't say it. Um, yeah, no, and so I think that squad. You know, first time that we kind of went up in the, to that Premier League for a long time and actually had a shot of staying up. They they kind of warmed to all of our hearts in a in, in a way that kind of the the guy the Watford fans from the eighties had that squad with them. So. Um, yeah, the professor and Fessy, and those guys were. That's a piss take. Mm. Absolute joker. I can't believe it was like so. I don't know what happened between Watford and Wednesday, but he was basically on holiday for two, three years. I think it was about 3.5 million in a signing bonus that he probably got a couple of nice cars out of. And yeah, nice cars. Yeah, I mean, he, did score, he did score one really good goal in there. I can't remember. I think I've just tried to delete all memories of him out of my I mean, he literally hasn't played since leaving Wednesday, and he's only 33. Never looked like he wanted to play. I think it was his uh, final payoff. Hmm. I mean, to be fair, we didn't do bad at Watford that year. We got Forestieri, Pudel, and him. So Pudel and Forestieri were brilliant for the first uh, couple of years. Um, 
and then obviously <laughs> yeah and, i mean that, that season that season was the one that you guys went to the playoff final um yeah. and the those guys you know at, at that time in their career were were able to do a job at that level um but it's those injuries that start to come in um and you know you guys know quite how hard this division is um it's that that the long season the two games a week um that it you know it inevitably starts taking a, its toll on you especially as the smaller players in the squad uh, are getting lumps kicked out of them every week um so happy to be back. <laughs> Can't wait for that trip to Luton Town, can you? <laughs> it's the first time we've been playing them since the mid two thousands. Um, so, you know, are you are you like fierce rivals with Luton? Yeah, so they they are considered the the biggest rivalry um, that there is. the The issue has been that we haven't played since the early mid two thousands at this point. Um, so it's moved almost into that rivalry, rivalry where you kind of younger brother, you kind of hope that they do well, but you can still beat up on them. And I'm looking forward to it. Um, it, it it's going to be kind of a weird one with no fans in the stadium. I think you lose a lot of that, the aggression and those parts of it, um, which is probably a good thing. Um, but you, you refer to it as the kind of sibling rivalry and the older brother beating from the younger brother, but obviously the other side of the fence, you got the younger brother seething with anger towards Watford and the <laughs> jealousy. And like, it's always, it's always the smaller club that wants, that's like angry and just wants to beat and tear chunks out of you, isn't it? 100%. And, and I think that's, <laughs> you know, I had we been going up to Luton with a stadium full of fans, I have no doubt that there'll be that element of their club, you know, keeping two lumps out of every Watford player for the fans. Um, with that gone, I don't know if it, how much it's going to change the dynamic this season. Um, you know, you guys probably know a bit better kind of from the run-in kind of how how no fans in, at this level kind of helped or hindered. Um, so it's... Well, we haven't. We thought our home form is notoriously bad for like years. And we thought <laughs> with those people in Hillsburg getting on their backs, they might perform better. Nope, just don't like the pitch, the stadium. <laughs> They're just uh, not very good at home. I did, I did think in the Cardiff game this past weekend that not having Cardiff fans there might have made their performance a little flatter after going down one goal early. Yeah, there was nothing really there to pick them up, and they never really got into it or really any sense of urgency. I mean, it's still like early enough in the season that they all feel like preseason friendlies, so. That could be part of it as well. Jeffrey, it's, it's harder to get that energy when you go go down at the moment with no fans. Yeah, I think I think so. Um, you know, it's going to come down a, a little bit to the individual, you know, individual squad con, uh, construction, individual manager, like how much they can sort of crack the whip at that point. Um, you know, you know who, who's, who's sort of the leader in that squad that's going to reorganize everything and get the the team moving forward. But I think anytime, especially you go down a goal down early, you kind of want, you know, I think fairly shortly after that, they get, they fizz a chance across the six yard box. And then I think if you have the crowd getting up after that. It can kind of spur you on, but it just was very much a game of fits and starts until Wednesday got their second. And really the second half didn't have much in it either way. 
So, um, Felix, you've um, you've had a couple of games so far. Um, a one nil win against Borough, and you just went through on penalties against Oxford today, right? Yep. Uh, so, I mean, I wouldn't say it's been a rocking start for yourselves. Are, are you uh, confident about the trip to Hillsborough, or, or how do you think you'll fare against us? Are we calling this the uh, Delhi Basharud Derby? Yeah, I, got I both of them. A, a fizz and a Tom <laughs> Delhi Basharud. Um, truthfully, I don't think uh, we know what team's going to show up for us. Um, it's there were a lot of. Um, players that we weren't expected to see starting last weekend and obviously midweek against Oxford, you're expecting a, a large rotation so that eight players changed out. Um, so I, I think it's it's a tough time to go up to Hillsborough because I think that, you know, Watford has the target on their back as the club that's come down. Um, so that's always something that you've got to play the whole season out on. And especially near the start, they're the scout that you want to be taking early. Um, I, it really depends as to as to how the kids kind of go out there. So like Jao Pedro started up top for us last week. Um, he he really only had a cameo against Arsenal in the Premier League, uh, which was our last game of the season. And he's a great player, um, really young, energetic, um, good. Uh, Ken Sammer got brought back in. And so I think both those two guys, if, if they end up being out for it like they, they were last weekend, um, I, I think there's, you, you're going to struggle kind of on that, uh, that right wing back position and kind of attack, you know, us attacking. But, I, you know, it's, it, it'd be rude to come on here and say that we're going to go up there and do that. I, I don't think that's true. I don't no, think no go good. for it. Cause Cardiff did that last uh, pod <laughs> yeah. and it got smashed. So. I, I think it's going to be a really, really ugly game. I'm not going to lie. I think that, um, that you're going to end up just with a lot of, uh, just the scrappy elements like, uh, the, the, the our, our central, well, not pairing, but our center backs, our central midfield are both way, as well with the experiences in this league. Um, for our team. So you have players that have played there and have kind of come up from us. Uh, Tom Cleverley, you know, um, did well for us last weekend. I'd see him continue to do that. He's been given the captain's armband. Um, so, you know, he's definitely going to be leading kind of from that middle bit. And I, I, again, it, the, the, the combination of him and Nate Chalabar is one of those like championship midfield pairings that can win it on any day or just be off their game and, and nothing goes through. So uh, I think it's going to be a scrappy nil-nil, one-one-one. I don't think we go up there and get three points this weekend. Well, I, I think what we've seen when we've been successful under Gary Monk is that he's quite content to let the other team maintain possession and to try to hit you on, on quick counters. Um, but it's interesting that you say you th- you found the focus so far under your new manager has been really defensively stout. So I'm, I'm wondering if you're not right and we're not going to see two teams kind of <laughs> passing it back and forth to each other, waiting for the other one to open themselves up to uh, to something, in which case a scrappy nil-nil sounds uh, pretty straight on. I mean, we, we sat back and let Neil Warnock do his thing, you know. So when, you, when you're looking at Neil Warnock's beautiful football for 90 minutes, <laughs> um, I don't think it's going to be the most entertaining display that we're going to see. But, um, yeah, I think it's going to be just, you know, the, the, the centre-back, 
duo of like, you know, Craig Cathcart and Craig Dawson for us is one of those that just has that experience of just being able to shut down that quick counter-attack. They're, they're not getting up. They're not being caught offside. They're just putting down the defender 15 yards outside of the box to give away the free kick, um, if that's the case. So, yeah, it's going to be football. Well, <laughs> there's one thing Wednesday fans are used to. It's awful football at Hillsborough, so it'll be a, it will not exactly be a refreshing change of pace or a change of pace at all. Uh, Felix, thanks for coming on, and we will see you. I haven't even looked at the schedule, but whenever the return fixture is. Yeah, uh, I have no idea when the return fixture <laughs> is. <but laughs> yeah, yeah. Good luck on the weekend, and uh, and see the return fixture at the big where hopefully there's some fans allowed in from both sides because. Your support is always one of the fun ones to kind of go on the way day to, but I won't know not know much of that this year. Well, we'll be at Bryant Park, Felix. If you want to uh, come down the block, <laughs> if you want to come for a drink in the park. I saw you rowdy lads in the corner last weekend. <laughs> <laughs> that was so weird. There's three of us huddled over a laptop, and Felix goes, "All right, Paddy, what are you doing here?" Paddy, where can you watch the Watford games this weekend? Um. They're on iFollow. But yes, also, thank you, Patty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can also uh, come to New York, uh, Bryan Park, uh, in the southwest corner, which is our new pad, um, and join us on the laptop. Um, you'll might meet Felix, uh, who we just spoke to. Um, we also did a virtual meetup last week, which we're going to roll out again this week. So if you're online anywhere in the world come and join us online it's on our facebook usually um you can sign up that way if you want to get in touch on twitter or email put and uh, ask for the link do so uh, it's ours americas and ours americas at gmail.com you've been listening to episode 105 of the ours americast we are currently looking for season sponsors you can get in touch on our website at ourswamericas.com or email us at ourswamericas at gmail.com you also find and follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Owls Americas. Our podcast intro and bumpers are by fellow Wednesday at Reverend and the Makers. The podcast is on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Podbean, probably anywhere else you choose to download podcasts. There's no wrong way to listen to the show, just do what feels right. Wherever you choose to consume the Owls Americas, we ask that you rate and review the show. It helps more Wednesdayites find our ramblings. James is on Twitter at Manhattan Owl. James, we've mentioned Nicholas Alexanderson and Roland Nielsen on this show already. Do you have any thoughts you want to add about Ola Tidman? What were you saying about the fraternity of Wednesday goalkeepers earlier on about uh, Joe Wildsmith and Cameron Dawson? Mm. Uh, Ola Tidman not included. Uh, no, I have absolutely zero thoughts on that particular ginger buffoon. Justin is on Twitter at New England Owls. Justin, what as a as a longtime hockey coach, what advice do you have for Wednesday this weekend against Watford? Or is it just more yelling? More yelling. I actually, real quick, because we've been on this too long and nobody's actually listening anymore. I want to give a quick shout out to uh, Frederick Hibbert, who died this past week at the age of 77. Frederick Hibbert's better known as Toots, uh, mm. one of the main parts of yeah, absolutely. Toots the absolute Falls. legend. And Fre- Frederick Hibbert is, that's it, he's an absolute fucking legend. He was here before Bob Marley. He was here after Bob Marley. I am heartbreakingly disappointed because I had an opportunity this summer, I was planning on taking my entire family, my wife and my two small children, 
to see Toots and the Maytals live because their live performance is... He was still touring and absolutely incredible into his 70s. He, like. I, I have seen him multiple times. It's amazing. And I highly recommend anybody that's never listened to or is not familiar, get the Toots and the Maytals live album. I believe it's from 1980, which shows you how badass he is and they were and... You know, I don't often, I'm not often bothered by celebrity death or even, you know, musician death, athlete death, any of that. It it happens, it comes and goes. But this was one that, that hit a little bit. He made so much beautiful, soulful music over the years that I've kind of been pouring one out pretty straight for four or five days now. So one of the, cheer, cheers to Frederick Hibbert. One of the first songs I tried to sing to my daughter to get her to go to fucking sleep which didn't actually work was a uh, pressure drop <laughs> yeah but that's the problem you're going a little too hard a little too hard uh, you gotta, yeah you gotta sing something sweet sweet and dandy is sweet fine. and dandy whatever i get it's a beautiful yeah it lightens the mood a little bit jeff there's a brewery in east london called pressure drop we'll go sometime yeah. oh and jeff uh as far as hockey uh just start a fight <laughs> five, five minutes in the box <laughs> uh that's like that's like the psg game where there's like five sendings off after the uh final oh, whistle <laughs> more of a french league thing i feel like it's like oh, you have five sendings off and 13 yellow cards I'm like yeah that, ha- that happens in league one <laughs> <laughs> i can happen any week patty is on twitter at new york owls patty you've listened to a lot of bands that have been inspired by toots and the maytals god knows have indeed um and toots uh, was one of my uh, good friends and gig buddies back in london uh, one of their favorite bands too so i've been uh, chatting to her this week as well and see if she's okay because it's it's a he, he touched a lot of people right and he's uh he's a as a legend so um yeah rest in peace guy and i'm on twitter at jeff paternastro and i came to toots and the maytals in the most like suburban connecticut white boy way possible uh i went to film school and a very very london college professor that i had there played uh, uh the harder they come in our world cinema class which if you if you want to start somewhere with sort of uh jamaican music from that era you could do worse than the the harder they come soundtrack god knows uh and after this very very long show <laughs> We will see you again next week. Now, I'm going to dedicate this song for ladies and gentlemen and for each and every one today. And deep down inside, from the bottom of my heart, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And do it like this. Repeat after me. Everybody say, yeah. yeah. I'll say, yeah. Listen what they say. I'll say, yeah. Listen what they say. Sit down, mister. Hear what I say now. Get your hands on the head now. Get no hurt, mister Do what I say, though It's just what I mean, sir Get your hands in the air, though And you'll get no hurt, mister I say, yeah This is what I say, now.
they say, I must join the army. The third thing they say, son, give me a number now. And he said, what's your number? I don't answer. He said, what's your number, man? I don't answer. He said, what's your number? Still don't answer. He said, what's your number? No, I say, yeah. 54, 46, that's my number. Um, 54, 46, that's my number. I say, one more time. 54, 46, that's my number. Um, 54, 46, that's my number. Do you believe a potential thing with me? Give it to the policeman. I wouldn't do that now. No, I wouldn't do that now. And if I do that, I would say, sir, please, mister, put the charge on me. But I wouldn't do that. No, I wouldn't do that. Yeah, I'm not a fool to hurt myself. I was innocent of what they done to me. There was the wrong. There was a wrong huh? Look, you do it one time, hey, two times. Give it to me three times now. Give it to me four times, baby. Fifty four, forty six. That's my number. Fifty four, forty six. What's my number? I said one more time. Fifty four, forty six. That's my number, no. 54, 46. That's my number. Thank you. 